Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen here with you. A slightly different view for those yeah. who are watching on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You're still seeing the kitchen of our apartment, but you're seeing a slightly different angle. You're getting a little bit of the door that goes to the laundry. Exciting stuff. Huge. It really is. There's no more microwave in the background. No more fridge. I mean, the professionalism on this podcast, I didn't think it could go up any more than it already had. And yet we continue to best ourselves. It's truly unmatched. It really is. Just the level of professionalism that we bring to the Mass and All Access podcast. And And that is the beauty of working from home. And if you're listening to the podcast... Watch it next time on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Where, where else can you get this view? Exactly. If you're not watching. Exactly. It's, yeah. a, it's a must watch. Uh, we are going live on this Wednesday here instead of the typical Tuesday because yesterday we had a game on Mass and Brendan, we and did. we have another game on Mass and tomorrow, two spring training broadcasts. Actually got to see uh, some action yesterday. Got to see Michael Franco hit his first uh, home run as a member of the Baltimore Orioles. That was exciting. Yeah. Got to see Trey Goyard. At the same time that Bruce Zimmerman was on headset doing an interview on the broadcast, those yeah. are always the best moments. I think when you do those during spring training, you you kind of hope that uh, something is going to happen while the interview is actually going on. This is true. And they did, what, there were a lot of those interviews where exciting things happened. At, at least yesterday, I think. Yeah. Who else got interviewed during the game? I know Zimmerman, Hyde got interviewed early. Was Hyde, Mancini, Trey was later yeah. in the game. Well, as the guys come out of the game, a lot of times they'll they'll try to catch them. Right. Um, before they head back to the complex and, and, and leave. But it's, yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a cool kind of insight, I think, into seeing how these players interact. You get some, some, yeah. sometimes some nicknames come out. Like yeah. we know Boom Boom, obviously, but uh, Bruce was like, attaboy, Boom Boom, <laughs> after Trey hit his home run. It's just fun to see yeah. how these players, McKenna, I think, was interviewed yesterday when Tyler Nevin, like, made a nice play at first, and he was like, nice scoop, Nev, or something. It's mm. just nice. It's nice to get that kind of inside look, um, and it's good to know that, uh, you know, the, we're, we're kind of, these guys are getting along. Yeah, the, the fun <laughs> parts of spring training while we're here analyzing which one of them are going to, you know, make the roster and, and all that fun stuff. And which stuff. ones are not, yeah. Yeah. We, we got to talk business. Uh, we do. It's, it's almost like, though, we had uh, uh, the maintenance guy in our apartment come by to switch the filter, and yeah. we knew that was happening today, but we didn't know exactly when. So we had to make sure it wasn't going to overlap because we were just imagining a scenario in which we are going live on the podcast and the maintenance guy's coming in to change the filter in the background of the shot. I mean, that's... Which I thought would be hilarious. A little upstaging. I was overruled. A little upstaging. A little bit. We know you need the attention there, Paul. I do. I need to be the center of attention. Yeah. Well, we got a lot to talk about here on the <laughs> Mass and All Access podcast today. Mostly roster battles. Uh, there are some interesting battles shaping up and, and honestly kind of concluding. We are about a week away from the regular season opening up. A week from tomorrow, the Orioles open their season at Fenway Park, I believe, right? Yeah. It's a week away. That is crazy. Wow. April 1st. Uh, so they have to get their 26-man roster set before then. They are right now in camp sitting at 57 players. 
So I think that feels like too many. I feel like they're going to need to cut some guys, at least a few. And I just know that the minute we finish this podcast, they're going to make our the cuts and make this this conversation mostly irrelevant. But we're gonna we're gonna power through anyway, Brendan. Well, I feel like that's been most of our podcasts anyway. Yeah, the I mean, second we, we, we get done with them, and then breaking news happens. The so, second we finish last week's podcast. Yeah, I was gonna say, wasn't it what two weeks ago when we were talking about the validity of Orioles possibly signing Michael Franco, and then boom. Like five minutes after we got off the podcast, they had finalized the deal. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was. Uh, and then Felix Hernandez got injured in that day's game. So right. there was that news. And then they made a, a bunch of roster cuts right after that game. So basically, if you're listening to the podcast, just it's utterly irrelevant. Stay tuned for like five minutes after because the Orioles will break all of their yeah. news. I think Michael Elias waits until we finish our podcast, then breaks. I think so, too. The news. Um, so let's talk. Uh, also, you're getting comments about your haircut there. Right oh, now. wow. Look at that. Thanks for noticing. Yeah. Uh, people, people seem to like it. You were less confident about it. Well, I, I, was, I was kind of teetering the line. I think if my hair got any longer, I probably would have had to go cover hockey or lacrosse. <laughs> so I think I yeah. needed to cut it. I mean, yeah. I wasn't going to grow it out long enough to get the Hunter Harvey Dean Kramer flow. Yeah. So you know at that point anything in between is just anything kind of, in between just doesn't look as good. yeah anything that's like a little bit shoulder length but not quite there is yeah just, yeah even isaac matson's starting to grow his hair out do you notice that i didn't yeah the fun things we notice in spring training exactly remember about this time last year when everybody was growing their hair out and then just like uh, uh you know six months everybody had like long hair when nobody yeah. could see a barber fun times fun times all right uh i think at some point we should probably talk about baseball at some point okay. yeah um so let's start with uh, the kind of injury news because we talked about weeks ago the fact that injuries could change the entire roster conversation. And in some ways, they've kind of negated a lot of our debates over the past few weeks. But that's what these are for. Like these spring training roster debates that we talk about opening day roster debates, a lot of that gets negated over the course of spring training as injuries happen and different moves on the periphery of the roster uh, are made. And then eventually they all turn out to be like a lot of these conversations turn out to be negligible. Like they, they just don't turn out to have a huge impact over the course of the season. And then we're back in, in, in July or August looking back, like why were we debating who, whether Thomas Eshelman or Tyler Wells should make the roster when like none of those guys end up making an impact on the team. So basically what you're saying is not only is the podcast negated by the Orioles breaking news about five minutes after we get done with the podcast, it's also negated by the injuries that yes. happen during spring training that decide the roster battles for us. Well, and, and uh, it ultimately ends up being irrelevant because a lot of these, if you're on the fringes of the roster, most yeah, times just, just pitch yeah. the podcast more to exactly. people who aren't listening. No, but already, I think, Paul. I think that that is just kind of the, the nature of covering spring training is because yeah. like a lot of times rock talks about rock talks about writing all these stories on guys that never end up making the team or make the team and are on the team for five minutes and then are gone. Um, I look back at the 2019 opening day roster to kind of look at that because it is it is cool to make an opening day roster break camp with the club like that does have a cool cachet to it especially for young guys who are making their first opening day roster but some of the names on that 2019 opening day roster brendan yeah. drew jackson the rule five guy who is that jesus sucre uh who was their opening day catcher nate carnes pedro araujo those four guys combined to play 28 games for the orioles that year paul i'm gonna be honest you could have named 
just any four names, yeah. and I probably would have believed you. Yeah. Cedric Mullins made the opening day roster. He ended up playing like 22 games that year for the Orioles King. and ended up finishing the season at double A. Yeah. So ultimately, like we may, you know, there are going to be some guys in this roster that may make the opening day club and then they, they have a week with the team and then ultimately don't make it. Well, we've but. spent a lot of time talking about the starting pitching. Yeah. And that is one of the roster spots that kind of seems to have worked itself out at least a little bit yeah. with injuries. Yeah. Well, we, on last week's podcast, did a whole kind of rant about Jorge Lopez yeah. and how we didn't really think that he deserved a spot on this team over some guys. And then a bunch of guys got injured and, and it kind of negated that whole rant. So Felix Hernandez gets injured a week ago. Um, he still has not been ruled out for opening day um, by Brandon Hyde, but the more time he misses, the, the more likely it is that he's not going to be ready by opening day. You have some position players that are injured that open up some roster spots. Currently, DJ Stewart is still returning from his uh, oblique injury, I believe. Uh, you have, um, you know, the, a lot of the fringes of the roster guys are, are Thomas Eshelman we haven't seen in a game. He's only been pitching in, in side sessions and, and uh, you know, like intra-squad games. So the the whole thing about Jorge Lopez that we went on, I think at this point, we were talking about, well, he's having a good camp, but he still doesn't deserve to make the team. At this point, he probably has to. He, he probably just has to make the team based on the, the few, the, the roster spots that are open. Well, and I think the thing that is working in Lopez's favor is that we know that he can pitch in the bullpen, but he can also be a spot starter when needed. I don't think Brandon Hyde is necessarily going to want Jorge Lopez in the rotation for the long term. Yeah. But if there are some injuries, I think Jorge Lopez would be a decent enough number five where you can slate him in at least for a little while in the starting rotation. But there are some other guys that have pitched really well in spring training that might take that spot from him, like Bruce Zimmerman. Yeah. Um, let's talk about... Let's. I'm just going to run through real quick the locks that that... Uh, to kind of catch people up on the guys that we absolutely think are going to make this team. Yes. And then we can kind of debate the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. um, for the ro rotation, I think absolute locks, John Means, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken. Right. I think Trey Mancini, Yolmer Sanchez, Freddie Galvis, Pat Vileka. I would put all four of those guys as locks. Yeah, I think Pat Vileka, of the locks, I think Pat Vileka is like, a 95 percenter rather than a 99 percenter but I think he's pretty clearly established himself as the best of the utility guys I yeah. think he is a clear clear better option than Ramon Urias and I don't think Jemai Jones is going to start the year on the roster so I think of those three guys that were probably competing for a spot yeah I think Pat Felica has pretty clearly the leg up I think Ramon Urias could still make the roster but I think he would make the roster in addition to Pat Felica I agree as opposed to yeah over him at right. this point. The, I mean, Vileka plays shortstop. That is a huge advantage for him. Makes him a true utility guy. So that's three guys in the rotation, four in the infield, two catchers, uh, Pedro Severino, Chance Cisco. Put those guys in and pen. Right. There, uh, there's no competition for yeah. them. There is no reason that they wouldn't make the roster. Outfield, Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes, Anthony Santander, Cedric Mullins. All yep. four of those guys. DJ Stewart, we'll talk about in a little bit, but he's injured uh, at the time being, so we can't put him as a lock. And then the bullpen... I have eight guys, and there are some guys of these eight that I'm going to mention that I think could also flip-flop into the rotation if need be. But I think Paul Fry, Sean Armstrong, Travis Lakin Sr., Dylan Tate, Tanner Scott, Cesar Valdez, all of those guys are locks. And then the two kind of flip-floppers, stretch starters, you know, um, you know, 
could be used in either role, Jorge Lopez and Bruce Zimmerman, guy who has been still lights out this spring. Uh, I think both of those guys have pitched their way onto the roster. I would agree that they have pitched their way and deserve a spot on the roster. I don't know if I would call them locks to make the roster, simply because especially with a guy like Bruce Zimmerman, because he has the flexibility with those minor league options, if there's somebody else that's kind of on the fringe of making the team and you want to at least start them at the major league level and see if they can be successful, Bruce Zimmerman is probably going to be the one that you would put in AAA at least for a little bit just because you have the flexibility to do that and not necessarily because he doesn't deserve a spot on the major league roster. I think he does. I think he might deserve a spot in the starting rotation at this point, but Zimmerman is the one that I don't know if he is going to make the roster. I think he should because of his great performance, but it's a toss up. Yeah, it is. It is kind of a math equation for Mike Elias because he has to think about, you know, if you don't include Bruce Zimmerman on this opening day roster, that's okay. You can just option him down to AAA and call him up later on in the year. If you don't include one of the rule five guys on this opening day roster, like a Tyler Wells or Max Roller. They're gone. You know, you send them back to their original team and the the team most likely buys them back for half the price. Right. So, you know, do you want to, is it worth keeping Bruce Zimmerman when you know you you have no danger of losing him in any way over, you know, one of these Rule 5 guys? And the same goes for these guys on these minor league deals like uh, Wade LeBlanc, Felix Hernandez, Matt Harvey, Thomas Eshelman. If they don't make the team, they're gone. You know, uh, unless they decide to accept an option down to AAA, they're not going to make, you know, they're they're probably going to leave the organization and see, seek a better opportunity elsewhere. Well, starting with the Rule 5 guys, I don't know if either of them have, have really pitched well enough to make a compelling case to make the roster at this point. Max Soroller has not. Tyler Wells has been pretty good. I think Tyler Wells has a shot to make the roster, but I would still be pretty surprised if he did. I, they're, they're close, and it's hard to tell what the organization thinks of these guys. I think it's going to come down to injuries. So we yeah. just listed all those guys that we, th- we think are locks. I mean, I, I put Zimmerman and Jorge Lopez in that category, and that still only gives us 22 players. You have Hunter Harvey on the 60-day IL, so he's technically included in your opening day roster, but you know he doesn't count towards the 26 total. So that leaves open four spots. We've listed 12 pitchers. If they go with 14 pitchers, I think it becomes increasingly likely, especially with the Felix injury, that, and especially considering that both their Rule 5 guys are pitchers, I think that they do go with 14 pitchers. Um, that leaves two open spots, or three open spots, rather, for pitchers. Did I do that right? Yeah, three open spots. Sorry, 21 total. Three open spots for pitchers. That would get us to 24 and two position players. So 14 pitchers total. 14 pitchers total. I have listed, sorry, three rotation guys, eight bullpen guys. That e- Let's do math here. That equals 11. Yep. Three more pitchers could get them to 14. Okay. And then they have two extra spots for uh, utility guys. So you've named your 11. Who would those additional three be for yeah, that's, you? That's the question. So if Felix Hernandez, I think, starts the season on the IL, mm-hmm. um, and he may not, but if he does, I think Matt Harvey... Absolutely is a lock. I think he, frankly, Matt Harvey's a lock at this point anyway. Okay. He's been pitching much better than he did to start. I mean, his first start in an Orioles uniform, March 5th, two innings, three earned runs, didn't strike anybody out. Not good. We were talking about that guy probably can't make the team. That Matt Harvey can't make the team. Second start, 
four innings, two earned runs, four Ks. All right, coming around. Third start, four innings, one earned run, two Ks. I think he's got to make the team. I, I think he will make the team, and I think the injury to Felix Hernandez probably doesn't make too much of a difference, but if you're looking at it from a perspective of how many true starters do you have on the team, yeah, Jorge Lopez can be a starter. I think he bounces between being a starter and a long reliever. Bruce Zimmerman can be a starter. I think bounces between, again, starter, long reliever, Wade LeBlanc, the same thing. Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez were probably the two guys that were fighting for roster spots that are purely starting pitchers. Yeah. I don't think Brandon Hyde would put Matt Harvey in the bullpen in really any scenario. I think he could. I mean, that I think that's they mentioned that when they signed him in terms of that that kind of versatility because he did come out of the bullpen with the Royals last year. I think he could. I just don't see it being as likely as I think for this, somebody like Lopez yeah. or Zimmerman. I think for this team especially, they would probably try to use him as a starter. Right. Yeah. So the fact that Felix Hernandez might not be available for the start of the season could mean that Harvey could get even more of a shot in that starting rotation, maybe as even the number four or number five. Yeah. So I think he makes this team. I, I think he does as well. Are you ready to take out the pen and put him in ink? <sighs> I don't know if I'm I am. quite ready to I'm put there. it in. I think I'm there. I would probably put it at like a 90% chance that Matt Harvey makes the team. Like you said, he's been good over his last few starts. Last start, four innings, one earned yeah. run, two strikeouts, and the velocity is improved as well. And the stuff looks good, too. It does. He's using his off-speed more effectively and kind of showing how he might be able to work even with diminished velocity, which we have talked about on previous podcasts. I don't know if I'm ready to lock in Matt Harvey. I'm ready to do it. But I would say with pretty much certainty that Matt Harvey makes the team. Pen, not pencil for me. Matt Harvey makes this team. That's I'm, I'm call, Unless he's injured, of course. Right, which you know, but I think Matt Harvey is is pretty much a lock. Whether or not Felix Hernandez is ready to go, I think Harvey probably gets maybe one more turn in the rotation before spring start or before uh, opening day. Um, he got pushed back a couple days, but Brandon Hyde said don't read anything into that. Um, I think he makes his team. So if that gives us that that puts us up to twenty two players. Right. So now you have room for two more pitchers. If Felix Hernandez is healthy, is Felix a lock for you, Brandon? I think if Felix Hernandez is healthy, then Felix Hernandez is a lock purely because it's Felix Hernandez. <laughs> and I think given his pedigree and given his past, I think you just need Felix Hernandez in the starting rotation. At least I think. Yeah. He has the veteran presence and I have, maybe this is just me being a Felix Hernandez fan forever, but I think Felix Hernandez still has the ability to pitch with that diminished velocity. I think he can figure it out. I would put Felix Hernandez in the starting rotation. I would too. That would put you at 13 pitchers with room for one more. Right. Um, now, Paul, would... quick question for you. A little side tangent. Yeah. Do these four, this 14-pitcher scenario, it would just pretty much include Pat Vileka as your utility guy off the bench. No, you, have two, you still have two room, room for two more. So I would go... See, that's the thing. They're, they're difficult. You still need a third baseman. Right. We only mentioned four infielders, Mancini, Sanchez, Galvis, and then Vileka. So you would assume Michael Franco if it he's would, ready for opening day. It would be either, yeah, Franco if he's ready for opening day. And then uh, I think what the organization's probably going to do, Michael Franco has not played in back-to-back -back games yet. He insists he's ready. He looked like he was ready the other night, or yesterday afternoon, rather, yeah. hitting that bomb to center field. But I think because they put that option in his contract that he can start the year at the alternate site, I think they're going to use that. 
I think they're, I think Rio Ruiz most likely still makes this team over Michael Franco. They stick Franco at the alternate site just to get him up to speed, and then they worry about what to do with Rio Ruiz when Franco is ready. Right. So I, I didn't want to go on a big tangent yeah. about those infield guides, but 14 pitchers assumes that your bench outside of the starters probably consists of... It's going to be Pat, thin bench. Pat Vileka, <laughs> yeah. DJ Stewart, and maybe Ramon Urias. And this is also... And that's that's the three. Yeah. yeah. I, I hope we're not losing people because we're and just going to And of course, Chance Cisco the fourth, but... Naming a lot of people here. Yeah. But it also assumes that Chris Davis is probably going to start the season. I think we can... We can pretty much assume Chris Davis is going to start the season on an injured list, ten day or right. sixty day. But I think he has not he has not played in several weeks now. He has this back injury. Uh, Brandon Hyde says the sixty day IL is a possibility for him. That takes away one spot and frankly allows you to be a little bit more versatile with your infield. Right. So I think that Chris Davis most likely will start on the IL in some capacity. I think one third baseman makes it probably Rio Ruiz. And then I think the final roster spot, if DJ Stewart is healthy, DJ Stewart is your final roster spot in terms of the position players. You stick him in the outfield and you have a five-man outfield with the possibility to move Ryan Mountcastle to first if you need to, so he can kind of go back and forth. Um, if DJ Stewart is not healthy, I think Ramon Urias is your final guy. Okay. So I didn't want to go on that. That was <laughs> no, yeah. probably too big of a tangent. But the point that I, I wanted hope to I make made sense. Yeah. is if the Orioles go with 14 pitchers, this is a pretty thin bench. And as yes. guys like Michael Franco, if he starts the season at the alternate site, as soon as he gets called up, you are making some decisions where do you want to go with 13 pitchers? Are there enough pitchers that are healthy? Do you I think, want to? I just think you have to go with 14. I'm just yeah. looking at this team and I'm saying like, you don't have, especially if Felix is injured, like, you don't have enough bona fide starters to go with 13 pitchers. Because I think Jorge Lopez and Bruce Zimmerman, they, those guys can start, but I don't think you want to be giving them the ball every five days for the first couple weeks of the season. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you just have to go with 14 pitchers and give yourself a little bit more flexibility there. Yeah. And you're going to put pressure on that bench. I mean, Pat Falake is probably going to have to play a lot more than you would like him to play. <laughs> and maybe Ramon Urias in that same category... But I think, I think if at this point, you almost definitely have to go with 14 pitchers, especially because a lot of these guys that we talked about, Felix, Harvey, LeBlanc, they're all, you know, 30, 30, in their mid to late 30s. Several of them have had serious injuries over the past few years. They could go down with an injury at any time, and you may need to replace somebody in the middle of a game. There's just all kinds of things that could go wrong. So I think you absolutely have to give yourself that flexibility and go with 14 pitchers. So to reset a little bit, we've yeah. got the three starters that were locks from the beginning in Means, Kramer, and Aiken. Yeah. The bullpen guys that we know have been locks are Paul Fry, Sean mm -hmm. Armstrong, Travis Lakins, Dylan Tate, Tanner Scott, Cesar Valdez. Mm -hmm. That brings us to how many bullpen guys did I just name? You just six. named six. And then the three starters that were already locks. That's nine. We added in Jorge Lopez and Bruce Zimmerman. We make that 11 pitchers. Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez makes that 13. Yeah. So, Paul, there is one more spot remaining of this 14-pitcher scenario that you have yeah. mapped out a little bit. The guys that we haven't named so far. Wade LeBlanc, mm -hmm. Thomas Eshelman, Tyler Wells, Max Soroller, yeah. Fernando Abad, Cole Sulcer. Cole, yeah, to me, Cole Sulcer does not make the team. Okay. So, of the guys that I just named, mm -hmm. Paul... If the Orioles go with 14 pitchers, yeah. who is your final pick there? 
I think it's probably Wade LeBlanc at this point. I'm wondering if the Orioles are kind of tipping their hand by having Thomas Eshelman not appear in a game in a long time. They haven't, he, you know, has been... Yeah, hasn't pitched since the first spring training. Yeah, he's been pitching in intra-squad games. And part of that could be that they know what they have in Thomas Eshelman and they just want to see what they have in guys that are not on the roster. Uh, we talked about him being, Eshelman being one of the more known qual- uh, quantities, rather. Um, you know, Felix, Harvey are definitely not. Right. Um, they don't really know what they have in these guys, so they want to give them as many starts as possible. Um, that being said, I do think Wade LeBlanc is my final pitcher in that okay. scenario. I would agree. I think Wade he's, LeBlanc yeah. gives you he's, the he's versatility, especially with the injuries that we've talked about with Felix Hernandez. I think LeBlanc gives you the most versatility where he could be a back end of the rotation starter, a number five, or even a, a number six if Brandon Hyde des- decides to go with a six-man rotation, or he can be a long reliever. It's going to be a very deep and flexible bullpen because yeah. you've got multiple guys. If the pitchers who make the roster, if the pitchers make the roster, the the ones that we have been predicting at least, uh, Wade LeBlanc, Bruce Zimmerman, Jorge Lopez all have the ability to probably start in the bullpen and also make spot starts when needed. Yeah. The the only thing that would tear me up inside about that is to, to give Wade LeBlanc that final spot is not taking either of your rule five guys. And I know there's yeah. just, I like, realistically, there's just not a great case you can make for either of them. You mentioned off the top you think Wells has a better case than Soroller. I would agree. I think Wells... Um, has a slightly higher shot than Soroller. Um, but I, you just can't... It, it's so difficult to squeeze one of these guys in. Um, and it just would kill me to not take one of those guys. I mean, I know they're not a huge... like You don't take much of a risk by bringing these guys into the organization. You, you know, you pay... Ultimately, if you send them back, you're only paying like $50,000 to the team and it's just kind of like a free chip that you're, you're getting a look at. Whether this the, the what has happened with Zach Pop in Miami factors into the back of my mind as well, and the fact that Zach Pop is now pitching very well and he was not included on the Orioles' 40-man roster when they could have included him on the 40-man roster and protected him from the Rule 5 draft, I don't know. But it may be in the back of my head a little bit to the point where I'm thinking, well, you lost a pitcher in the Rule 5 draft. He's definitely not going to get sent back from Miami and might actually be a pretty good pitcher for the Marlins. I kind of want to, to make up for that, want to keep a Rule 5 guy. Just to say yeah. we lost one, but we we kept one, you know? Well, honestly... I, I, you, shouldn't, you, you can't go into trades and, and Rule 5 thinking we have to win this transaction. But I would, I would like to keep... If I'm the Orioles, I would like to keep Tyler Wells to say, all right, we did lose Zach Pop, but at least we got somebody else out of that Rule 5 draft. Honestly, I think Tyler Wells has made a case. He's made a case. I just I, I don't know if I can squeeze him in. So here's a scenario for you, Paul. Okay. The Orioles maybe want to keep one of their Rule 5 draft picks. Tyler Wells has been very good in spring training. Six innings, one earned run, six yep. strikeouts. He has certainly shown that he can at least compete. And I think he has been solid enough in spring training to at least warrant a very tough decision on whether or not you want to send him back. Yeah. Because Tyler Wells probably would have been protected if it weren't for his injury the year previous. Yeah. He probably would have been climbing up those prospect ranks a little bit more. 
And if it weren't for his injury, I think he probably would have been protected. So same with Zach Pop. I will. I will Zach throw Pop out. Also had uh, Tommy John. This yeah. is true. I'll throw out a little hypothetical for you, Paul. The Orioles decide to start Bruce Zimmerman in the minors. Okay. Gives them one extra spot on the opening day 26-man roster for another pitcher. Could they use that spot on Tyler Wells? I think so. The other scenario, yeah, I think so. And I think the other scenario is also Felix Hernandez starts the season on the 10-day IL. Right. That opens a spot for, for Tyler Wells. So if we are looking at the the 14 pitcher thing is Tyler Wells pretty solidly, at least in your eyes, the 15th guy where if there is an injury or if the Orioles decide to maybe option Bruce Zimmerman at the beginning of the year, some scenario like that Uh, is Tyler Wells, your next choice in in my mind for the 14th pitcher in my mind, he is, I don't know if he is in Brandon Hyde and Michael Elias's eyes, right? But in my mind, he is because I just I would rather hold on to him than I probably would anybody else. I mean, I would uh, again, he is the bump over so roller. I'd probably hold on to him over Thomas Asherman. Yep. So I would I would try to hold on to him if you can. I don't know if it's worth you know keeping Bruce Zimmerman in the minors for that though, because Bruce Zimmerman has been so good this spring, right? And has definitely you know you do need guys like. You, you, ultimately, with these Rule 5 guys, you're looking at the long game and you're hoping that they can help you eventually. But you do need, like, you can't t- keep somebody on the roster that you know is going to get hit around and going to get shelled, <laughs> right? you know, um, to start the season in the hopes that eventually he turns into a, a good player. I don't think that's the case with Tyler Wells, but typically, I mean, it's just good practice to keep the better player. So, you know, Bruce Zimmerman at this point might be the better player than Tyler Wells. Well, not to go on an entirely new tangent, but my take is that I think I would rather keep Tyler Wells than Jorge Lopez, but it kind of seems like Jorge Lopez is... I think he's more... Jorge Lopez is a little bit... They, for this organization, he's a little too valuable. I would agree. They value him highly. I would agree. I, I, I think Higher it would just do. be a shame to not take either of your Rule 5 guys, especially when Tyler Wells has gone six innings, one earned six strikeouts. Yeah. Yep, that's fair. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. should, do we want to talk position, the final couple position spots real quick? I think we kind of touched on it earlier. but Yeah, there are just, there are so many moving pieces yeah, a ton. in terms of if We're this guy gets injured, this podcast, if I? this guy starts on the injured list, it's, yeah. it's hard to talk about the pitching and how the Orioles might construct 14 pitchers on their roster without talking about the yeah. injuries on the position player side of things. So everything really just rolls together. That's why we went on about 30,000 different tangents yeah. and probably lost about 50,000 people watching because it's hard to keep track of. It is. It, it is. And I think when constructing this roster, I think that you have to look at, posi- you have to look at pitchers first, rather. Let them dictate. Right who you take position player-wise. I think right. you need to fill out those, first decide if you want 13 or 14, and then decide who are those 13 or 14 going to be, and then you decide who the position players are. Right. Because I think that those pitching decisions are maybe more important right now. Because, right. It, you know, you can option Ramon Urias down to the minors. That's not going to be a big deal. You can keep Michael Franco, Michael Franco rather, at the minors and... Uh, at the alternate site, rather, to start the year. That's not going to be a big deal. So I think that 
those, you know, you can put DJ Stewart on the roster, you can put him on the IL, but I, I think that you have to start with the pitchers, determine who you want on the staff, and then let that dictate which position players you keep. Right. So we went through our 14 pitchers, and I think the first big injury that could make a difference on the position player side is Chris Davis. It sounds like he's pretty likely to at least be on the 10-day injured list to start the year, and it sounds like the 60-day IL is even a possibility. So, Paul, I'll post another question to you. How does Chris Davis starting the year on the injured list, whether it's the 10 or the 60, what difference does that make in terms of what position players yeah. the Orioles might keep on the roster? Well, like I said earlier, I think it, it even allows the them to be a little bit more versatile in who they take because, yep. you know, Chris Davis is exclusively a first baseman. You already have Trey Mancini, who's a first baseman, maybe an outfielder. I don't think he's going to play much outfield this year. First baseman, DH. You know, you have uh, Mal Castle, who can also play first. So, Valeka, who can play first. You don't have any need for a first baseman. Right. Um, replacing a first baseman in Chris Davis with a middle infield guy in Ramon Urias makes you more versatile. Right. That allows you to maybe definitely take 14 pitchers because you have somebody, you have both Pat Valeka and Ramon Urias, who you can stick it almost. I mean, we haven't seen Urias at anything other than shortstop or second base, but those but that, are the two most important positions defensively in the infield. So, right, and that yeah. gives the Orioles versatility as well, especially when you're looking at second base. Yeah. Because say you need Ramon Urias to play second and you need a third baseman for that day, just bump over Yolner Sanchez to third base, and then you've got yes. Urias to back him up at second. So the versatility helps because there are so many guys in the infield yeah. that can play multiple positions. You can really move them around however you need to in the lineup. Yeah. I would agree with you there. I think Ramon Urias probably uh, is going to be the benefactor of Chris Davis starting the year on the IL in terms of his uh, roster stability. I think another one that could be interesting is if Chris Davis is on the IL for an extended period of time and Michael Franco is up at the major league level, I think Rio Ruiz has a chance to maybe stick around in Chris Davis's place if uh, he is the replacement there just because he has the versatility to play either third or first. If it were a choice between Rio Ruiz and Ramon Urias, I think you would probably go Urias because he plays more valuable positions in the infield. But I think it gives Rio Ruiz a bit more of a chance to stick around as a backup third baseman, first baseman hybrid. And I want to see, so after we finished our podcast last week, Michael Elias addressed the media about Michael Franco, and he said he could see them keeping Michael Franco and Rio Ruiz on the roster for the entire year. Which was pretty surprising. Uh, Yeah, I don't see that happening. I just don't see that happening. And I know he probably has to say that um, because you you currently have both guys on your roster. So, you know, you you don't want to say, well, we're we're looking to get rid of this guy if if you are. Um, And, of course, injuries can change the entire conversation here. I don't think that they're going to keep both guys on the active roster all season. Um, and eventually they're going to have their hand forced. Right. Um, because, you know, they can delay this a month if they need to. They can keep Michael Franco at the alternate site for a month and, and wait to make that decision. Just have Rio Ruiz be your opening day third baseman. But eventually you're likely going to have to make a decision between uh, on what to do with Rio Ruiz when Franco is ready. Right. It, it's pretty optimistic to think that 
Franco would be ready for opening day. I think you're probably right. I think Rio Ruiz probably does open up the year as your everyday yeah. third baseman. If he impresses, I mean, do you, right? What do you do at that point? Yeah. Because if Rio Ruiz starts the year on fire, obviously you're still going to call up Michael Franco from the alternate site at some point. You signed him to be your everyday regular third baseman. But then at that point, what do you do with Rio Ruiz? I yeah. suppose it's a good problem to have. And hopefully the Orioles will have that problem with what to do with Rio Ruiz if he's performing really well. They're going to have they're going to have questions like this, I think, in the outfield, too. Right. I think they're, this this same question is going to come up when when Yuzniel Diaz is hitting the cover off the ball at double A or Ryan McKenna is doing the same thing at, you know, at triple at A Norfolk or, or at the alternate site or wherever. Um, they're going to have these same kind of questions, I think, especially if the guys at the major league level, like what if Cedric Mullins is hitting 300 two months into the season, but Ryan McKenna looks like, you know, he's hitting 350 in AAA, you know, right. I, that's optimistic. But the point is like, there are, there are going to be guys that maybe deserve to stay with the team that might be on the outside that, that might find themselves traded, might find themselves, uh, designated for assignment. Um, just because we're going to see a lot of guys come up. Um, but going back to the Franco and, and Rio Ruiz debate, uh, I think that in theory you could keep both on the roster for a little bit. I think you could both you could fit them both on the 26-man roster for some time period. I don't think you can do it for the entire season. Um, but I think, you know, Brandon Hyde was asked about this the other day, and he said the DH spot gives us some flexibility. You could make you know, Rio Ruiz, your DH, you can make Franco your DH and switch those guys out. But ultimately, I think that there are just going to be too many guys that are, you want to put on your roster and they're going to have to decide between one of these two guys. And I think Rio is going to either be traded or designated for assignment or, I don't know, maybe Franco for as a blistering first couple months and he gets traded. Well, as we were saying before about spring training and how the injuries have kind of uh, decided some of these debates for us, I think the conversations that we're having right now about what the Orioles might do in the regular season are probably going to get decided for them in a few weeks, whether yeah. there's injuries or any other scenario. So probably a lot of the things that we're talking about right now will figure themselves out yeah. in some capacity. I don't think the Orioles are going to be stuck in any scenario. I think these things will probably work out. Yeah. Getting comments about 13, uh, you know, what happened to 13 starters, or 13 pitchers, rather. <laughs> 13 starters. 13 Bold starters. strategy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 13 pitcher limit. There's there's really no limit this year because they have a 26-man roster instead of 25. And, uh, you know, a lot of teams, I think, surprising number of teams are going to go with a six-man rotation to start the year around yeah. baseball. And probably a lot of teams will go with 14 pitchers rather than 13 or yeah, 12. Yeah, just because... It's a weird year. You don't know how these yep. pitchers are going to react, uh, how their bodies are going to react, what they're going to be ready for. So I think that the Orioles are not the only team trying to decide between 13 and 14 pitchers. I think a lot of teams are trying to do that as well. Right. Um, wow, a lot of roster talk here. Yeah. Did you think we covered the whole thing? I think so. I think really the only <laughs> thing that we didn't talk about was DJ Stewart's injury. Yeah. But it's still not super clear whether he's going to start the year on the injured list or yeah. not. So I, I don't know if that's really worth diving into because if DJ Stewart is healthy, then he is pr not a lock to make the team, I don't think, but he is, I, I would put him I, in I the 
Yeah, I, I would put him in like the 95%er category. Yeah. I think DJ Stewart is going to be the fourth outfielder DH role. So yeah. I think if DJ Stewart is healthy, he makes the team. If not, yeah. then that opens up a can of worms. But I don't think it's worth diving into. I don't think it, it opens up a can of worms per se because I think you just replace him with Urias. Probably Ramon Urias. Yeah. I think I think that's an easy kind of switch. Yeah, but um, if Chris Davis and DJ Stewart both open the year on the injured list, then do you add? Yeah, then uh, we don't know. They could add Tyler then you, and Evan. Then you they add, could add Ryan McKenna. They could add. I think they wait on those guys still. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Um, also, when I say lock, you know, this is just my yeah. idea of a lock. Yeah. You know, I, and it is kind of like the ninety-five because. I could be very wrong about this. It's not like I'm texting Brandon Hyde and he's saying, oh, this guy is a stone-cold lock for the roster. Uh, I am just predicting it based on what I've seen, and it's still a 95% with a 5% buffer for injuries and also me just being totally dead wrong and, and misreading right. this. But yeah. in my mind, you know, when I say lock, that's just what I imagine. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think we dove pretty far into yeah. the roster construction. And obviously, as we find out more about who might be starting the year on the injured list, we will get a better sense of what the Orioles' opening day roster might look like. And we're going to know soon. Yeah, opening they, day is in a week. It's in, it's in a week. I don't know the exact day that they have to set their rosters, but I think it's like two, days bef- two or three days before. Right. Uh, and they have 57. So they're going to have to cut about half the guys in camp. Yeah. Before they get down to this 2026. 20, and then in non-roster news, Paul, yeah. the Orioles were ranked uh, the number five farm system in all of baseball. How about that? By MLB Pipeline. How about that? Huge jump. Yeah. Uh, they went from, I think, eight was the last time we saw them ranked in the farm yep. system. Probably those off-season trades, I think. The Jose Iglesias trade. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the Alex Cobb trade probably helped that a little bit. Yeah. And the international signings. The international trade. signings. And then, of course, you add Heston Kerstad, Kobe Mayo, some of those draft yeah. picks. So the Orioles on the way up. Uh, some interesting kind of movement also, because they uh, this is the MLB pipeline, of course, releasing a new top 30 in terms of the Orioles prospect list. And uh, this is kind of like when you see NFL mock drafts change after the college football season ends, where, like, you're like, why is this guy, yeah. why did this guy go from a third round pick to like a first round pick right. when they stopped playing college football two months ago? Uh, like we have not seen these guys in minor league baseball in a year. We haven't seen them since the 2019 season and we have pretty little information to go by from the alternate site. So I don't know how these, what MLB pipeline and Jonathan Mayo used to determine who goes up and who goes down, but some jumps up. Kyle Bradish, huge. Yeah. I mean, he was at one point like a fringe top 30 guy. He was like 29th, I think. Then he jumped up to like 22-ish. Now he's up to 15. Yeah. He has been, I mean, that guy is, the reviews have been raving about Kyle Bradish from the alternate site. Yeah. He was, uh, along with Isaac Matson and two other guys, he was in the, um, the Dylan Bundy trade from the Angels system. But uh, look at Kyle Bradish making moves. Yeah. A pitcher that we really haven't talked about yeah. too awful much. And now he's, now he's up ahead of, uh, you know, Alexander Wells, who we've spent considerable amount of words and time on. Yeah, the past a, a lot of the pitchers moved up. Ke- uh, Dean Kramer up to eight. Keegan Aiken up to 11 actually jumped Zach Lowther yeah. in that prospect ranking, which was interesting. And like you said, Kyle Bradish up to 15. Uh, so the pitchers making moves making in moves. the Orioles' top 30. Uh, another guy making moves, Ryan McKenna. 
Yeah. We saw him as the number seven prospect per fan <laughs> According to fan graphs, and we, nothing against Ryan McKenna, we just didn't really think he was top seven, top yeah. eight Orioles prospects. And then all of a sudden, he shoots up the rankings. Now he's at 16. I think his, according to MLB Pipeline, he's the 16th yeah. best prospect. I think his age has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that he, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, Yusniel Diaz and, and uh, some of those other outfielders. McKenna's still only 23. Yeah. And he spent his, the last full season that we saw of him was at the double A level. So he was what, 21 for most of that season? I had a schedule. Yeah. So, you know, his numbers were not eye popping at the plate. But right. keep in mind, he was a lot younger than most of the competition he was facing at the double A level. He's a plus defender. He's fast. He has a good bat. Uh, it good makes base sense. Runner. Yeah. Good base runner. Uh, and yeah, and th- that power, I think, has the potential to go up too. Um, He's he's making moves as well. Yeah, shooting on up those uh, those uh, rankings. Yeah, and then some other guys I noticed on those rankings: uh, Kobe Mayo up to eighteen. When we talk about the third base spot, we've typically been talking about maybe either Gunnar Henderson or Jordan Westberg moves over to third base, two of the top Orioles shortstop prospects. But we haven't talked about Kobe Mayo too awful much, just because he is yeah. a long ways away from the major league level. He was drafted uh, out of high school, but he has a ton of raw power and could be a really exciting third base prospect going forward. Uh, Jemai Jones checks in at 20. Yeah. I think, um, I, I think he could kind of be in a similar case uh, to Ryan Mountcastle, where he starts lower down on the prospect list, and I think Jemai Jones has a chance to impress at the major league level and then possibly move up those prospect rankings. And then another, the international another young guys. guy, too, for, sorry, for Jemai Jones. I yes. mean, he's 23 as well. Yeah, uh, and then the international guys as well get their uh, debuts on the Orioles' top 30. Michael Hernandez at 22 and Samuel Basayo at 28. Yeah, that's the highest we've seen international signings. In the Orioles' top 30. Like in ever? A, in a long time. Yeah. In a long time. Yeah. Which is great to see. Uh, right. And does also kind of put into context, because you hear a lot of names at the international signing period, and you say, okay, I, I don't know who this kid is. He's also 16 or 17 years old. These kids are so young. But it does put into context, okay, the Orioles had a pretty darn good uh, international signing period. Because those were the top two guys. I think they ended up signing, what, 17 uh, yep. total to start the signing period. Uh and along those lines, how about the fact that uh, brand new plans for a Dominican academy? Yes. Good stuff. Going to house over 100 players. It looks gorgeous. I yeah. mean, absolutely gorgeous. This thing, uh, the, the designs look absolutely amazing. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to look directly down the camera and say, send Mass and All Access <laughs> to the Dominican Academy for, yeah. uh, for a week's worth of shows. I think it would be good Would content. you watch? I I would watch. Comment if you would watch. Uh, we are just fishing for compliments <laughs> at this point. I just want to go. I just want them to send us down there yeah. so that we can uh, we can experience it. Well, and it is exciting because it's going to take a year. As we talked but. about before, when this international signing period was rolling around, there are a lot of teams in Major League Baseball that are built pretty heavily from exclusively, not exclusively, but from the international market. I mean, look at the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, you know that they spent a little too much money and they spent. And uh, yeah. But, Way you know, much. it was worth it. They got Ronald Acuna. They got Ozzy Albies. They got Johan Camargo. We're not, we're not condoning. Not condoning. I'm just saying. the rules and spending. I'm just saying they got a lot of good players. That's all I'm saying. Well, there, there are other organizations, too, that, that yes. uh, you know, uh, ended up building a lot of their infields. Uh, and right. the Orioles mentioned the fact that having a top-notch facility helps a lot in recruiting players. Because these kids are, you know, a lot of times before you sign them, 15, 14 
years old and they're with their families and their families are saying, where are you going to spend your time? Where are you going right. to stay? Right. Um, and, you know, having a facility that uh, not only is great for baseball, but is nice, is is like just a good place to be around. Yeah. Um, that that is it, that helps you're recruiting it. Think about it like, um, you know, having a great weight room when the uh, college football player is looking to or a high school football player is looking to go to a college. It's yeah. Like, you have it's the more, best more important than you would think. You have a massive swimming pool. You have like yeah. a lounge room. Yeah, yeah, I'll go there. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it does matter. It does matter. And it, it's kudos to the Orioles for even despite the all the economic hardship and everything that everybody has been undergoing over the past year, being able to pull this off. So uh, we'll see when that project, they're hoping to finish it maybe in about a year, year plus, uh, but that would be very cool. Yeah, and, and that's the long game. We probably won't re- see the results of that new facility for you know five, six, seven years. Yeah, but we will see them eventually. It's building a sustainable foundation. Yes, um, you know more than anything, it's it's not not taking shortcuts, right? Um, which is what uh, Michael Lance has all been about. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Here? Well, goodness, I think we uh, I think we've talked <laughs> we on everything. talked about that roster construction yeah. a heck of a lot. A lot of uh, names, and if you're still you. confused. So are we. Yeah. So we, we will learn more over Stuff the next to visualize, week. I, yeah. I get. But we will, by the next time we go live on this podcast, we will be, what, if we do an episode Tuesday, we'll be two days away from opening day, Brendan. Wow. We might have the opening day roster in front of us. That's exciting say, we stuff. We are fools for having picked. <laughs> Look pretty, at what we did. I called so and so a lock and uh, didn't even make the team. So, yeah. Uh, well, I steered clear of calling people locks. Stone cold because, lock it in. Solely because when they don't make the team, I can make fun of you next yeah. week. I want. I put myself out on the line. I take a risk. I want yeah. a. I want a sound effect and some kind of graphic. This is Paul's like stone cold lock of the week. You know, got like a stamp like on there. Yeah. yeah. Bang. You know. Yeah. Get like a beer sponsor. We'll, we'll get working on that. The yeah. graphics guy will get. Get working on that. Yeah. It's funny because that's Paul. That's also me. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, at Brendan Morty. Your that's Twitter me. Handle. I'm at Paul Mancana. Thanks, of course, to Hannah Broder behind the scenes for her her good work. Don't forget, Orioles back on Masson tomorrow night. I believe it's a six, six o'clock start taking on the Pirates, who they have faced about a million times I this think, I think every time we say that the Orioles are playing somebody, it's, it's the, the Pirates. Pirates. Yeah, it's the Pirates. But that's because, you know, this, they, they mess with the schedule and everything yeah. this spring to try to make sure that teams didn't travel too far. They're playing baseball. They're playing baseball. Yeah. Um, All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. Of course, please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends wherever you may be listening or watching. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you in about a week. Thanks so much. 